So we hired this pilot to fly us in and drop us off on the edge of the river because there's these landing strips cut through this whole part of Bolivia because this is all also where all the cocaine is, is trafficked from the Andes to Brazil. So we're like, oh, great, we'll just use one of those landing strips. So we barely, barely hit the landing because everything was flooded. So half of our runway was flooded. Survived that, hopped out of the plane. And, of course, the landing strip we happened to choose was occupied by, you know, four narco-traffickers. These guys, they had guns. They weren't pointing the guns at us, but they definitely had guns. And there was this very tense negotiation <laughs> in Spanish about, like, uh, when two white dudes just appear on one of these landing ships, it usually means they're DEA. So, like, we had to explain that we're not DEA. We're actually, like, looking for cacao. And, yeah, and, cacao. Not cacao. <laughs> source of constant confusion. Because, yeah, they're, they're, both, they're both right there. Coca? No, cacao. Really? Cacao? Don't you mean coca? No, we really mean cacao. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're going to be talking with Rowan Jacobson. Rowan is a food journalist, and he's the host of a podcast called Wild Chocolate. And that's what we're here to talk to him about, because that show follows his multi-year quest into the Amazon, all in pursuit of a mythical bar of chocolate, all to find the origins to learn about its dark history and its potential to save parts of the rainforest. More after this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. So Rowan is a food writer. And when you look at the stuff that Rowan's written about, it feels a little bit like a menu for some of the most decadent, fancy, expensive things you could order. Uh, we're talking about oysters and truffles and fine wines. Do you think of yourself as kind of like a like a fancy food guy? You know, I don't. Um, and it's funny because, yeah, I do end up writing about some of those, uh, the snootier things sometimes. But I think it's, those are the foods that are getting more attention paid to them. Like, and usually because there was something there to begin with that made people extra excited, which is how they got to be expensive in the first place. 
So it's not it's not the studiness. It's it's more like the uh, depth of the uh, the story to tell. I think. In fact, most of Rowan's reporting has not been about white tablecloths and luxury tastings. It's taken him to some really extreme places in pursuit of these stories. He followed rhino poachers in India, salmon fishermen in villages in Alaska. I spent two weeks volunteering on a NOAA fishing vessel in the Gulf of Maine, processing fish each day in, the, in like the hull of the ship for 12-hour shifts. <laughs> uh, so I volunteered for that, which turned out to be completely miserable, which was kind of the point. Um. <laughs> Recently, Rowan has spent a lot of time getting bitten by bugs in the Amazon. Because for the past decade or so, Rowan has been chasing one story in particular. It all started with a book he was writing about what food writers call terroir. You know, like the taste of place. Like mm-hmm. Most famously, it's a wine thing, but there's lots of foods where they're inseparable from their place. And chocolate is one of those. So I was writing about chocolate and learning more about it. And so I was like, you know, like stalking these websites, like super geeky chocolate nerd websites. And they're all raving about this new bar called Cru Sauvage. Like Sauvage means wild in French. And it was a, it was a Swiss bar. And they're like, oh my God, this tastes so different. At the time, it was not easy to track down a bar of this so-called wild chocolate. But after a lot of sleuthing, he found a supplier. I remember it was 13 bucks, but then it was from Switzerland. So then I had to pay another 13 bucks for the shipping, (laughs) which seemed insane in 2009. And I was like, oh, it's research. I got to do it. When the wild chocolate bar finally arrived on Rowan's doorstep, he peeled back the layer of crisp gold foil that it was wrapped in. It was this long, thin plank, and it had a, a feather, a long feather embossed on it all the way along the bar. And I was like, wow, it really does taste different. It was delicious. It was actually really smooth. It didn't have any bitterness, even though the uh, cocoa content was really high. It was just different. It just had this depth to it. Rowan later wrote about this first taste of wild chocolate for Outside Magazine. And I'm going to quote that article here. He wrote, It was delicious for sure, but that was almost beside the point. There was something else going on, something metaphysical. I don't really have the word for it. All I can say is that compared to all the chocolate I have known, this one tasted real. What is wild cacao? What is that as compared to kind of what we think of as chocolate? So this wild cacao is the original wild strains that evolved in the Amazon. So they have not been bred for sun exposure and high yield and all the all the things that we do to pretty much every crop when we domesticate it. Everyone in the chocolate industry, just, they didn't know there was such a thing as wild cacao. They'd be like, you know, what are you talking about? And, you know, they, it's domesticated. It was domesticated thousands of years ago. But some people just in the past 20 years have realized that the wild strains were still there in uh, the Amazon um, and that you could make chocolate out of them. And that it actually turned out to be some of the best chocolate on the planet. I'm going to jump in to add here that cacao is an incredibly sensitive crop. We've actually done another episode about this on the podcast, if you're interested. It's about the chocopocalypse. <laughs> There's a link in the show notes. But basically, cacao is grown in just three regions in the world, South and Central America, West Africa, and Southeast Asia. And in all of those places, people are going to incredible lengths to make sure that plants are protected from disease and adapted to grow in very specific conditions. So, like, 
Cacao plants haven't just been domesticated. They are also these incredibly fussy hothouse flowers. So it's people, the, the common wisdom was basically that wild cacao was effectively extinct, right? Like people didn't think it was a thing you could go and, and find really. Totally. People in the industry had no clue because they had never seen it. There was no, there was no industry that was accessing it. In fact, the, one of the guys I chronicle in the podcast, who was sort of the first Westerner to meet the people in Bolivia who had, were still using it and who realized that it was actually really good. He spent a couple of years like going around from like trade show to trade show and going to all these chocolate companies and saying like, here, check out these cocoa beans. They're wild and they're awesome. And nobody would give him the time of day because the beans looked a little weird. They're really small. And they just thought he was making a story up about wild cacao. So what is it that makes it so special? What, what is it that gives it this kind of quality that someone would spend years basically going around and trying to find it? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And um, no one knows quite why it sort of like went down this way. But the varieties of cacao that we bred for you know, to be grown as monocrops for basically, you know, industrial agricultural production and sun exposure, they ended up having a lot of bitterness and astringency to them. And they mm. just sort of lost the really good flavored stuff that the old varieties had had. Um, then the obvious question is, well, if someone was like, you know, going to farm this stuff, why would they have selected versions that didn't taste very good? But they picked varieties that, you know, could take the sun and and wouldn't die from disease, basically. And cacao is literally a commodity, you know, bought 100,000 tons at a time. So farmers made good decisions and the industry made good decisions to just pick whatever yielded the most. Uh, but then that, that was how we wound up with cacao that didn't taste very good. So after tasting this mind-blowingly smooth, rich, naturally sweet chocolate, Rowan made it his mission to find the guy from the chocolate trade shows. The guy who was claiming he had gotten his hands on this real wild cacao. That guy was Volker Lehman. And I could tell he was like a little, he was a little kooky and a little cocky because I told him that like these people I was talking to in the industry said, there's no such thing as wild cacao. And he's like, oh yeah, it's wild. You come down here. I'm, I'm actually going, um, taking this river trip into the jungle um, to meet with this indigenous group called the Yurikare, who, who like have all this cacao that grows around them. And I'm hoping to be able to pay them to harvest it. Um, so we're going to have these negotiations. And so that, you know, it kind of set off all my like, like quest buttons. And, and if you're a writer, you're always looking for a good quest narrative. To meet up with Volker, he had to take four different airplanes that got smaller and sketchier with each leg of the trip. And when he and Volker reached the end of the roads, the outskirts of the rainforest, they hopped into canoes, which took them deeper into the jungle. Then there were more planes. And of course, that exciting encounter with the narco-traffickers. We had to end up having to pay them like, a, you know, a use fee for the, the, the landing strip. And then they're like, all right, you guys are cool met our guy with the dugout canoe um and then finally we're on the river and we we go to these these meetings uh with these indigenous groups um so that was like day one you know so it was uh it was definitely not not a comfortable trip an exciting yeah definitely an exciting start so from there once you'd kind of you know landed and 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 gotten into it uh were you able to go and and find what what you had uh, gone in search of 
Yeah, we were. You know, we saw them from the boat that just like lining the riverbanks and then, then there'd be people in there. Everything was flooded at the time. So there'd be people in there harvesting the pods and just sticking them in their, in their canoes. It's so beautiful. Like the trees themselves are amazing. They have broad leaves, uh, almost like a, like a magnolia tree or something, um, and smooth trunks with like white spots on them. Uh, and yeah, the trees themselves are maybe like 20, 30 feet tall, but the pods are amazing. They're, they look like Nerf footballs. Like they're those colors. They're like bright yellow and orange and red. Um, and they're about that size, like almost like a delicata squash. And then of course, you do this whole alchemy process where you take these these white beans that don't have much flavor yet and you you ferment them and dry them and roast them and, and suddenly get this completely different product at the end and that product is delicious. So hmm. it's um it's just like it's it like it takes the essence of the rainforest and really just like um concentrates it into this this amazing experience. So it really is. Um, it, it's, it's got a lot of character. When you got into the Amazon and we're talking to folks there, like what was their take on wild cacao? Like this is not a surprise to them that it's, grow that it's growing there. Yeah, that's, that's a funny thing. Because, right, like the know-it-all, you know, Western chocolate industry is like, oh, there's no such thing as wild cacao. Meanwhile, for literally 400 years, if not 4,000 years, these people in Bolivia have just been doing it, you know, right. and drinking it locally. <laughs> um, and they're like the way they were doing it was not, it was not turning out a product that would meet the expectations of you sort of like a Western chocolate consumer. But um, it was like, they're making, it was a drinking chocolate mm. that was their cultural tradition. So yeah, so they were just kind of like, you know, in this very isolated spot doing this thing for centuries. Um, so it was pretty funny when suddenly all these uh, all these Westerners started popping up and and going crazy for for this stuff that they just considered, you know, another bean that you pick in the forest, one of many. Tell me a little bit about the yurikare and and like what's happening to the cacao that's that's now being harvested. Yeah, so it's become a big deal. Um, so throughout this the the lower section of Bolivia, the jungle section, quite a bit of cacao is coming out and. Um, and that cacao is now finding its way uh, to both Europe and and U.S. chocolate makers. So it's been it's really good for for the people there and for the rainforest in general because it provides an income for the standing forest. And as you know, the big issue in the Amazon right now is deforestation. Mm. The easy money is to burn down your forest and bring cattle in, right? So the way to fight that is to come up with ways for people to make their incomes off the standing forest. And cacao is being discovered as one of the best ways to do that. So that's why people in Peru and Colombia, uh, these indigenous groups are interested as well because they're feeling these pressures, all these other people who want to get a hold of this land. Uh, and if they can make a living uh, selling, harvesting wild cacao and selling it, then that gives them a much better standing, a better way to, to hang in there. Now, it's become such a big deal that there's a little bit of, um, you know, protectiveness, understandably so, about these uh, chocolatales, as they call them, these chocolate forests. Hmm. Like they're now protected as almost like like world heritage sites, uh, where you can't cut them down, even if, like no, no matter no matter who you are. Uh, but right now, they're all all that chocolate is being bought for. Um, 
to, to, for export at this point because the prices are so high. So it's kind of this classic situation where the price has gone up where local people probably can't afford those beans anymore, you know? Right. Has it changed the dynamics of, of who's kind of involved? There is some unsavoriness involved. There, as far as I can tell, there's unsavoriness involved with every <laughs> commercial transaction in that part of the world. But remember, this is also the place where all of the cocaine is still flowing through uh, freely. Right. So cacao is still like ridiculously unimportant on an economic level compared to coca. <laughs> so, right. So the unsavory <laughs> people are all drawn to the coca end of things. So the people who end up doing cacao are ones who are not in it for the money <laughs> at some level. So after you did all this and you've made multiple trips and you're like going again shortly, like what are you still looking for? What is where does this story and work take you from here? Yeah, I have gotten I've gotten sucked in a little bit where I'm not I'm no longer a completely objective journalist. I'm a tiny bit of an activist too because I really want to see this thing grow and and ha- get more people aware of it. Rowan is really optimistic about the future of wild chocolate because the very things that make it valuable and delicious make its exploitation and the destruction of the landscape kind of impractical. It tastes different because it's wild, because it's growing naturally. If you were to try and domesticate it or farm it industrially, you would just end up recreating the modern chocolates that we already have. And because it's rare, it's also valuable. It gives people who own the land a reason to preserve the rainforest instead of cutting down the trees to graze cattle or farm other crops. So if you're feeling a a little flush and a little curious... Wild chocolate is out there, made from the pure and wild beans sourced from all over the Amazon, and a little taste of what chocolate once was, the great, great ancestor of every Hershey's bar and M&M, a taste some might even call metaphysical. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. 
The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. 